Thank you, Pastor Darrell. Well, it's a it's a, an honor and a privilege uh, to be back here with you again. Um, and it's true, golly, you know, this friendship is going into decades, and that is whew, frightening. You know, uh, I uh, I still do autograph signings. That's why I'm. I came to Chicago this weekend. The Comic Con is going on, and if you go down there at the table around, there's this big banner behind me, and there's a picture of me when I was a million dollar man. I had the highlighted blonde hair, and I was about 50 pounds lighter. And but the little kids now that I have a son that's wrestling, same name, Ted DiBiase, Vince McMahon refuses to call him Junior. He hates Junior because he's a junior. He just he says that makes you sound like a punk. So. You know, so a lot of the little kids will come up and they see, they forget about Million Dollar Man. They just see Ted DiBiase and then they look at the picture and then they look at me and they go, where is he? <laughs> so they either say that because I don't look anything like I used to or they're looking for my son. So anyway, things do change. Um, yes, I have, I have a very, very special relationship with your pastor and with his church. Uh, that's all part of my story. I had a number of people come to me this morning and say, boy, we're excited to hear your story. I see, out of curiosity, how many in you, in, of you in here have heard my story? So most of you have not. Well, okay. God always says, all right, you're not going to do what you want to do. You're going to do what I want you to do. So I had intended to share a message with you this morning called, uh, can you walk on water? And maybe I can, uh, intertwine the two, but, uh, there's always a part of my story in anything that I preach. Uh, as I share with you today, I know that I share out of the conviction of my own heart and has how God has dealt with me. And because I am an evangelist, I'm, a, I'm one of those guys who I blow in, I blow up. <laughs> I, you know, I uh, beat everybody up, and then I give Pastor Darrell the salve and go, you, you nurse the wounds, I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, I tell everybody, I'm not a wrestler in the physical sense of the word, and I promise None of you will ever see me in spandex tights again. It's a horrifying thought. And I told my wife the other day, I said, honey, look, you know, I'm working on this. I've lost 10 pounds. She said, look behind you. <laughs> Thanks, honey. I love you too. Uh, but I have the greatest tag team partner in the world, Jesus Christ. And I do wrestle. I wrestle for souls. And I wrestle for the kingdom. And uh, that's what I'm here to do today. Uh, can you walk on water? Um, if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Matthew uh, chapter 14, I'm going to just start with verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Can you walk on water? What's this, what's this all about? Why is this in 
in this story? Why did Jesus use this? Why did this happen? Because nothing happens by mistake. It's all about faith. Uh, the Bible also tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's another word for faith? Trust. In another scripture, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, unless you come to me as a child, you can't come. What's he talking about? Well, what is it about children? It's they're innocent. And when, when an innocent child has loving parents, they unconditionally trust their parents. I was actually raised by a, a stepfather, Mike DiBiase, uh, came into my life when I was five years old. He married my mom. And, uh, you know, DiBiase's Italian. You know, people look at me and say, you don't look Italian. I say, well, I'm not. But I eat a lot of pasta. <laughs> um, but this man came into my life and became my dad. And uh, I loved him. I mean, you know, people ask me all the time, why, why, why did you? You know, let's face it, folks. Wrestling's not a normal occupation. What do you do for a living, Ted? I beat people up. Hit them in the head with chairs. <laughs> Run around in spandex tights and boots, come all the way up to my knees. Not normal. Why? My dad. My dad was a professional wrestler as well as the national amateur wrestling champion out of the University of Nebraska. As a matter of fact, my father is considered one of the four greatest athletes to ever come out of Nebraska. Now, I haven't checked the, the records lately. There might be more added to this list, but he was one of four guys in the history of the school to letter seven or more times with a national uh, title in amateur wrestling. But I didn't know any of that when I was five years old. All I knew was this man loved me. He accepted me as his son. And I trusted him. I wanted to be just like him. And it's like trust. You know, it's like when I learned how to swim. You know, I get out there on the end of the diving board. I'm looking into 10 feet of water. Well, 10 feet of water when you don't know how to swim is pretty scary when you're five. My dad gets out there down in front of me in the water and says, jump. Now, I didn't sit there. Scratching my head going, gosh, I hope dad doesn't move out of the way and let me sink. That's my dad. He's going to catch me. Right off I went. Total trust. That's what God's talking about. Jesus is saying, unless you trust me like that, you can't come. And what that requires is what? Faith. Because that's what faith is. It's trust. Um, and something else I realize is that I wanted so much to be like my dad. If you were around me. For any length of time when I was a kid, it didn't take you 10 minutes to figure out who my hero was. I didn't have to wear a sign around my neck to let you know. You could tell by everything I said and did that I wanted to be like my daddy. What I understand as a Christian today is that same attitude of heart, the attitude of heart that I had for my dad, the love I had for him, the desire to be as much like him as possible, is the same attitude of heart I must have for my Savior. Because if that's not my heart, I'm not a Christian. My heart's desire must be to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. And to do that, it requires faith and trust. Just like I trusted my dad, I must trust my Savior the same way. So that's what I want to challenge you with today. And I'm going to challenge you with it through my own personal story and journey. Now, I had a childlike faith when I was young. I was like, my dad was like most Italians, raised in Roman Catholicism. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say that you can't be Catholic and be a Christian. And quite frankly, I don't care. When I talk to people, I said, I don't care what denomination of Christianity you are, as long as you understand this, that your salvation is through one person, Jesus Christ. 
And as long as you walk in the intimacy of a relationship with him, and he's the one that you pray to, he's the one that is your source, then you can go to any church you want to. You know, because it's not about all those rituals. You know, because a lot of Protestants say that about Catholics. Oh, all that ritual. Well, every time you come here on Sunday, you have an order of service, right? That's a ritual. But if that's all it is to you, then you're just religious. If your Christianity is about showing up here, showing up here on Sunday and putting in your hour, and you're tapping your foot going, golly, Ted, that's a great message, but if you don't let me out of here in the next 40 minutes, that church down the street's going to beat us to the steakhouse. <laughs> Man, I want to get back in front of my big screen because they're going to, you know, you know, it's, uh, all, you know, football season's coming. I want to be sitting down there when that, boom, kickoff. I would say to you, where's your heart? Sunday is the Lord's day, not his hour. It's about the heart. The difference between genuine Christianity and every other religion in the world is we're not a religion. We're a relationship. And we have that relationship with our Lord just like we have a relationship with anybody. We've got to spend a lot of time with him. So I would also say to you, if this book doesn't have lordship in your life and the only time you crack it is on Sunday morning, you don't have a relationship or much of one because you can't hear from God unless you're reading this. And if your prayer life it's so shallow that you, know, so all you get up in the morning and that's that quick prayer in the shower and that quick prayer in the car on the way to work. Well, those are okay. I pray all day, throughout the day, different moments of the day. I'm going to go to the Comic-Con again this afternoon when I leave this church. And as I walk in that building, Lord, give me favor with these people. Lord, give me an opportunity sitting there. Some guy's going to walk up. He's going to want a picture and an autograph from the million-dollar man. Let me witness to him. Open that door. Show me. I did an autograph signing uh, for a minor league, minor league baseball team uh, like two weeks ago in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I was like not in the dugout or just, you know, kind of like underneath the stadium waiting to go out and throw out the first pitch, which was horrible. <laughs> I didn't throw it in the dirt. <laughs> I almost threw it over his head. Anyway. And so one of the other members of the staff were there along with the guy who picked me up from the airport who was taking care of me and actually was the marketing manager. And he said, Ted, he says, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah. He says, well, what denomination are you? I said, I don't wear a tag. I said, I'm ordained through a Southern Baptist church, but I do not wear a tag. I said, I'm Baptocostal. Okay? And so, uh, and I kind of explained, you know, I said, look, I said, you know, I was raised Catholic, but I have issues with Catholicism, and I'm not bashing, you know, Catholics. I said, you know, again, what I just told you. Well, this other guy's listening. When the game was over, he takes me back to the hotel, and sitting in front of the hotel in his car, I spoke to him for 30 minutes because he asked me. He said he had been in a marriage. He got a divorce. He said his wife had left him. He said, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. I wasn't unfaithful. She just decided to leave me and ran off with somebody else. You know, I'm trying to get uh, the Catholic Church to give me an annulment. And they said, the only way they can give me an annulment is I give them so much money. I said, well, you know what? I said, you don't need that. I said, God knows your heart. And so I had an opportunity there to share with him, because I had been raised Catholic, what those issues are. But why did that happen? Because my prayer every time I go is, God, open that door. I shared with Pastor Darrell that I'm going back to Scotland 
a week from Tuesday. The first time I went was two years ago. Uh, an independent wrestling group wanted me to come over, and because I was a big name, they said, your name will help us draw a big crowd. So I said, okay. And they said, if you'll stay in one of our cottages instead of a hotel, you can stay as long as you want. So I said, great, I'll bring my wife. In the course of the 12 days that my wife and I were there, we led this young man that invited me over and his wife to the Lord. Last year I went back, and last year, because he now had a pastor, that pastor arranged for a, for a citywide outreach in their community and, and, a, and a Sunday morning in, a, in an adjoining city church on Sunday. This year I'm going back, and I'm going to be in 15 churches all over Scotland. You know? But back when I was walking in a childlike faith, when I was a Catholic, my heart for God was sincere. I didn't realize that in many ways I was, in, in reality, being somewhat misled. My dad died a heart attack in a ring when I was 15. My life changed that day, and I found myself in a little town in southern Arizona where my grandparents live, a little place called Wilcox, four traffic lights, count them, four traffic lights. Interstate 10 goes around this town. You don't even have to drive through it. It's almost a ghost town. Big dreams, you know, college and professional football and wrestling. How's it going to happen here? I watched my mother fall into alcoholism. Hear her say things like, I wish I'd die, I wish I were dead, nothing to live for anymore. Gosh, Mom, thanks a lot. But it was the childlike faith that carried me. And I'd go out to the cemetery where my father's buried on many nights while a lot of my friends were out in the desert getting drunk and getting high on the weekends. And I would pray, cry out to God. And I wasn't saying the rosary. I wasn't repeating these prayers over and over, which is nothing but a ritual. I was talking to God just like I'm talking to you. It was something like this. God, give me the strength. Give me the talent. Give me what I need to achieve this goal I've set in my life so I can go to college. So even though my dad is dead and gone, that I could live up to his good name and that he would be proud of me. Lord, that I could show my mother why she shouldn't quit and give up on life. So I could show my friends why getting drunk, getting high, and being cool is not what life is all about. What I was really praying in a very childlike way was, God, if you'll give me the desires of my heart, I'm going to honor you with it. And folks, God's always faithful. As it turned out, I was the first kid to ever graduate from this little school in southern Arizona with a full scholarship to play Division I college football. Now, if my story ended there, I'll give Ted a pat on the back. Great job, kid. You, you stayed your course. You know, you didn't, you didn't cave into the peer pressure. You worked hard. God was faithful. Yep, he was, but I wasn't. You see, as God gave me all those things I wanted, and I started achieving these things and getting these awards and then the scholarship, two things crept into my life. And they took over in my life, consumed my life for the next 20 years, from the ages of 18 until I was 38. My pride and my male ego. The Bible says clearly, pride goeth before the fall. Amen. Been there, done that. And your ego, gentlemen, will always edge God out. Your ego in the flesh. I want to verify that. I speak to a lot of men. I do a lot of promise keepers meetings up in Canada. Here's what I want you to understand, guys. 
It's okay to have an ego. As long as, I'm not saying you kill it, sanctify it. You know, the church has made the mistake of kind of sissifying men. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not important to be ambitious. It's not important to be number one. Yeah, it is. Be the best you can be. Take whatever God has gifted you to do and be the absolute best you can be. Here's the difference. To his glory, not yours. That's the difference. And that's what took me 38 years to figure out. When I got to college, I started doing things I wouldn't do in high school. Going out with the guys, having a beer. One beer turned into, you know, the case. Waking up a Sunday morning with a hangover. Won't go to church today, be there next week. Next week never came. Why? Friday and Saturday night always come before Sunday. And now I'm cool. You know how you spell cool? F-O-O-L. <laughs> yep. Is that all cool will get you? By the time I was 26 years old, what a failure. I had failed as a husband. I was divorced from my first marriage at the age of 20, which I had no business, had no business getting married at 20. I'm not going to tell you that all male, I won't say that all 20-year-old males aren't mature enough to be married. I would say 98.9% of them are not mature enough to get There's a difference between love and lust. You know, it's called raging hormones, you know. Uh, that first marriage ended a divorce when I was 26. Failure as a husband. Now I have a son, first son of my first marriage. By virtue of the divorce, I couldn't be with him except on weekends and special occasions. I'm failing, I'm failing as a father. I'm not a part of my life's son when he needs me the most. I failed to graduate from college by one year. I didn't go to the NFL. But by this time, I had become a professional wrestler. What I believe God said to Ted was, go ahead, kid. Go get all that stuff you think you want. I'm going to let you have it. Go climb the material ladder of success. Find out what it's like there without me in your life. So I did. On this journey in Atlanta, Georgia, on April the 26th, 1981, I met a young lady named Melanie Kennedy. Melanie and I fell in love. And on New Year's Eve, last day of that year, short courtship, we got married. Into my life had walked a Christian girl. We began to go to church together in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She tricked me, you know. She said, okay, Ted, you're Catholic and I'm Baptist. Let's compromise and go to a non-denominational church. They're all Protestant. So the first time, for the first time in my life, I hear the message of the gospel. I'm sorry, but not, not preached out of a Bible, because it's not preached out of a Bible in the Catholic Church. It's preached out of the catechism. Their book. Never before in my life as a, never in my, my life as a Catholic did I ever hear that my eternity hinged on a relationship with Jesus. Never heard that. And I won't get into the other things. But it was the first time I walked the aisle, as they say, and said that prayer we call the sinner's prayer. Wept a few tears that day. But I didn't get saved. Ah, now you're scratching your head. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Romans 10, 9. Confess, the, confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're saved. Yep, you are. But the key, my friends, to that scripture is believe it in your heart. 
You see, because when you believe something in your heart, it is going to become overwhelmingly obvious in your life. And if that doesn't happen, you're just fooling yourself. You see, I have intellectually believed the message of the, the Bible and the gospel since I was a very young boy. But the difference between heaven and hell is about 18 inches. <laughs> it's moving everything you know about Jesus from here to here. Because when it gets in here, it comes out of your life. Just like the attitude towards my dad was from my heart. I wanted so much to be like him because I loved him passionately. Well, it's the same with Jesus. Well, in another scripture, Jesus said, with their, with their mouths they worship me, but their hearts are far from me. I want to tell you something, folks. In the United States of America, I don't care what denomination you are across Christian churches all over this country. I'm telling you, I would say 50 to 60 percent, and I think I'm being generous by saying that, of the people going to church aren't saved. They're just very religious. We are sending missionaries to third world countries. Those third world countries, are get, those, those people are getting saved, and they're sending missionaries back here because they see how shallow our faith is in this country. Faith. Or I'm ordained by Southern Baptist, okay? Well, you know, there's a lot of Southern Baptists say, ah, oh, well, you know, miracles happened in the Bible back when they were necessary. They don't really happen now. Then why did Jesus say, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why did he tell the disciples, these things shall you do and greater things shall you do? Was he lying? No. But why do you hear about things like that happening? And I hear, I hear sto unbelievable stories, miracles happening in third world countries all the time. Why? Because they live a simple life and they believe. I mean, I guarantee you, they believe in demons because they deal with them. But we live in such a technologically advanced country. What is that man's pride? Why do we have all this technology? Because God allowed it, because he gave somebody the thought. But does he get the credit here? Nope. Not really. Not really. I want to tell you, folks, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abortion on demand. I mean, there's a litany of things. Why? Let's sleep at the wheel. That's why I had to talk to so many men. I, go, I do men's conferences everywhere. There is such a shortage of godly men in this country. It's anemic. And ladies, please don't take this wrong. Biblically speaking, God called upon the man to lead his family. So his first obligation is to be the priest in his home. And it's a fact. If the man goes to church, the whole family goes. But if mama goes, maybe. Maybe you get this kid or that kid. Or it's dysfunctional. Strong men build strong churches. Strong churches build strong communities. Strong communities build a strong nation. And there's a lot of people, including me, shaking my fist at Washington right now. Quite frankly, I think we need to get rid of all of them and start over. Because they're not, what, they're, not, they're not interested in what's good for the country. Their interest is what's good for their party. There's no integrity. Can you, can you imagine passing a health care bill that nobody read? But while you're shaking your fist at them, look no further than the mirror. Because it starts here in the local church. 
And I would ask you, my friends, today, are you involved in the ministry of this church? Or do you just show up on Sunday and put in your hour and give God your leftovers? Oh, I'll give him a little bit today. Ah, I better hang on to that because I, I want a new TV, new big screen. Down Mississippi, oh man. Mississippi, I know men that plan their whole year around deer hunting season. I mean, they plan their whole year around it. And I tell some of those guys, I said, if you were as devoted to God as you are chasing white-tailed deer, revival would break out here. You won't put the money in the, in the collection plate when it goes by, but you'll save that money and get you a new four-wheeler, a new bow, a new rifle. Where's your heart? What did God say? Bring your first fruits into the storehouse and test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out someone's blessing. You can't receive it all. The only place in all of Scripture where God gave us permission to test him was in our giving. You can't outgive him. Why won't we take him up on the offer? Because we don't have any faith. Oh, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Back to Melanie and I. See, when I walked out of the church that day, I felt pretty good. But reality was, the God in my life was not Jesus Christ. The God in my life was my career. Because basically, what my words said was, yes, God, I want what you have to offer. What my actions said were, I want what you have to offer as long as we do it my way. As long as you'll make me a big star in wrestling and I can have a bigger house and a nicer car and all that stuff that comes along with it. Well, my wife's faith throughout this time grew and grew and grew. And I believe that God blessed us. Well, he blessed me in spite of me, and he blessed me because of my wife. And he blessed us with two children, our sons, Ted and Brett. Gave me back the son from my first marriage, Michael, who came to live with us when he was 11. And all that God had blessed me with, you'd think I'd have been so grateful. But I really wasn't. And then again in early 1987, I walked an aisle again, yet in the second church, in the church where my family goes today in Mississippi, where I live. Why do I live in Mississippi? Well, my mother-in-law lives in Mississippi. And if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> I moved to Mississippi so my wife could be near her mother and my kids' grandma and grandpa. But I walked that aisle that day, even got baptized again, first time I got baptized. I didn't even, I wasn't old enough to really understand what I was doing, which isn't biblical. And the pastor said, Ted, he says, I want to encourage you, but I want to warn you. He said, God's planted a seed in your life. And he said, he said, understand that now you got the devil's attention. Now he'll come quickly to pluck this seed before it has time to take root. He'll tempt you in the most... He's, he'll tempt you where you're the weakest and the most vulnerable. And he'll wrap it up in the prettiest package you ever saw because he's the greatest liar of all time. You see, people always say, devil made me do it. Uh-uh. We walk in the flesh. We're born in the flesh. And as long as we have this flesh, it stinks and it's wretched. And by our, the human nature is to take care of number one first always. That's our human nature. When we finally figure out that we can't do it, when we hit the wall so many times, we keep making the same stupid mistakes over and over, and we realize, I can't do this without God's help. Jesus, 
Now you got the devil's attention. Now he's going to come quick. And he's saying, ah, I got to take care of this before it has time any, any time to, to take off or I'm going to lose this one. This is Ted's terminology. And that's exactly what happened to me. Within a month or two of this rededication of my life, I got the biggest break in my wrestling career. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in Vince McMahon's office in Stanford, Connecticut, top of Titan Tower, four-story building. Vince says, Ted, he says, I got this idea. And he said, you know, the one thing everybody hates is a really rich guy who, by virtue of his wealth, thinks he's better than everybody, looks down his nose at everybody, just arrogant. Everybody hates that. And I had to laugh and go, I hate guys like that too. And he said, that's the essence of this character. He said, and in an effort to market this character, we are going to try to make the public believe, even though they understand that we're show business. I hope I didn't break anybody's heart. <laughs> there aren't any people that really believe wrestling's real out there. Okay. I will say this, you know, the misconception is, well, it's not real, so it doesn't hurt. Hmm. Tell, my, tell my two knees and my hips and the, the, the neck operation I had that. Um, I'm sitting in Vince's office, and he says, yeah, we're going to, in an effort to market this character, we're going to try to make the public believe that you're really rich. So we're going to send you everywhere first class. First class airfare, limousine service everywhere you go, airport to hotel, hotel to Coliseum, Coliseum, back to hotel, back to airport. And he says, no more Holiday Inns. Hyatt, Hilton, Marriott. Tough job. Somebody had to do it. Only two guys other than me got that treatment back then. Hulk Hogan, who was our biggest star, and Andre the Giant. Well, <laughs> Andre was seven feet, four inches tall, weighed 450 pounds. Where else are you going to put him? <laughs> what an unbelievable opportunity. Now, had I really given my heart to God, I'd have been on my knees saying, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Because with all the attention I'm going to get now, with all the, the fame and the recognition that I'm going to get on a national and even worldwide scale, every chance I get, I'm going to use it to, 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 to bring glory to your name. I could have done that, but I didn't do that. What I really did was the same thing I did coming out of high school. Gee, thanks, Lord, for getting me here, but now that I'm here, I'm cool. I'll let you know when I need you again. And I never said that, but it's exactly what my actions said going forward. I didn't get it. I just didn't really understand it. I was religious, and I wasn't even very good at that. Because I was so full of me. Well, God will give you enough rope that you hang yourself. You know, and when you don't really have a relationship with God, you have this God-sized hole in your life. And you'll keep making the same mistakes in your life over and over and over. And you'll keep doing that either until it kills you and sends you to hell or until you realize the only thing that's going to fill the void in your life is Christ. Alcoholics go back to alcohol, drug addicts to drugs. Uh, just name something. Statistics will bear it out. 80% of all the people that are arrested and go to jail in this country are repeat offenders. There's a proverb in the Bible that addresses it. It says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so the fool to his folly. That's what that's talking about. 
And because there was no real relationship with God in my life, I was going to fill that void. And in spite of the fact that I was now traveling first class everywhere I went, I was becoming more famous than I ever dreamed of, making appearances on The Tonight Show, Arsenio Hall, having my likeness made into action figures. We don't call them dolls, they're action figures. <laughs> they even, some, some wise guy even came up with the idea of making uh, toilet paper with my face on it. Because I was a bad guy. They stole a lot of it too. So now I'm making a lot more money. Now I, I buy a bigger house. I drive a nicer car. But there's no real relationship with my God in my life. I've got this wonderful wife, three kids. And I love my wife and I love my kids, but I'm not content. And as long as that voice is still there, you're going to fill it. And like so many other people in the sports or entertainment industry, I began to fill mine with drugs, alcohol, and other women. By the grace of God, I was never addicted to drugs or alcohol, but the addiction of my life was other women. And I don't say this to be funny at all, but I could counsel Tiger Woods. Horrible. March 1992, Indianapolis, Indiana, WrestleMania 8. That's our Super Bowl. At the end of the show, I go out in my tailor-made suit with a big gold chain around my neck, big dollar sign. Beautiful girl on each arm. I'm cool. I'm stupid. I make sure I go to all the hot spots in Indy to be seen. I didn't even go to, I didn't even go to bed night night. I had that limousine take me to the airport at about 6 o'clock in the morning. Got a plane to Detroit, check into the Marriott Hotel there. And then I walked to a payphone in the lobby of the hotel because cell phones weren't what they are now. To call home and check in with my wife. What a nice guy. What an absolute moron, jerk, fool, idiot. Pick one. On the other end of the phone that day, an angry wife. A wife who had trusted me unconditionally, who had bore two children for me, who had raised my son and accepted my son from a previous marriage as her own. A wife who never called me anywhere in the world to check up on me because she trusted me and believed in me. A wife who thought that I was a godly man had discovered that I was committing adultery on multiple affairs, multiple occasions. I, I, I don't want to talk about this on the phone. I'll be on the next plane home. She said, no, you won't. You don't live here anymore. Click. First words out of my mouth. Oh, God, help me. Wow. You talk about hypocrisy. Oh, God, help me. Oh, yes, God. You're the God that I cried out to in the desert cemetery. And you came to me there. You comforted me there. You gave me the desires of my heart, and I turned my back on you. Then I blew my first marriage. I blew school. And you brought Melanie into my life, and you blessed me with her, and you blessed us with two children. You gave me back my son. Then you blessed my career beyond belief. And I turned my back on you again. So what did I deserve from God? Well, I deserved what the Bible says we all deserve. Hell. And friends, please believe me. Nobody in all of Scripture warned us more about hell than Jesus did himself. Himself. 
He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad the path that leads to death, and then many there enter through. Small the gate, narrow the path that leads to life, and only a few will find it. You know what that tells me? Hell will greatly overpopulate heaven, and people don't want to hear it. Jesus said, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to gouge it out, better to go through life blind and crippled than to burn in hell. Flee from temptation. Run. Wow. In my darkest hour, I called a man who today is my best friend, a guy who had prayed for me for 11 and a half years, a guy I met in a gym in Baton Rouge as a youth minister, Hal Santos, prayed for me for 11 and a half years, would call me occasionally, kept up with me. And you know what he did? He just showed me the compassion of Christ. He didn't beat me up and ask me, how are you going to church? You know, and he didn't, he didn't give up. For 11 years, he just kept calling me. He just was a friend. And in my darkest hour, I could have called my pastor at home. Nice guy. He's the guy that baptized me. But what did I have with Hal that I didn't have with that pastor? One word, relationship. There it is. I look back at that and I realize what I saw in Hal Santos. And the reason I called him was I saw Jesus. Because I knew when I called Hal, no matter what the situation, he was going to do whatever he could to help me. So Hal arranged for my wife and I to fly to St. Louis. He picked me up at the airport, took me on the longest 30-minute ride of my life to face my wife who had arrived ahead of me. Hal, what do I say? What do I do? Hal said, Ted, Jesus said the truth would set you free. He didn't say it'd be painless. He didn't say it would be easy. He said it set you free. He said, if you'll trust Jesus today, the way you did in that desert cemetery when you cried out to God, he said, he'll restore you, Ted, and he'll forgive you. He said, you see, Ted, Jesus has never left you. He's been trying to call you all these years. He said, now I'm not going to promise it'll save your marriage because the Bible says you reap what you sow. There's always consequences to the choices. He said, but even if the worst happens, even if Melanie, who biblically has the right to leave you, divorces you, if you will cling to the cross and trust Jesus, faith, 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 You'll come out of this with a peace the Bible says passes all understanding. And friends, all I can tell you is in the depths of my soul, I knew the truth when I heard the truth. And then he said something that changed everything. Because I'd never looked at it. He said, Ted, he said, if you were the only man that ever lived, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Heaven, the, the God that created you, because he is fully God and fully man, he is part of the triune God. He would have come to earth, lived those same 33 years as a peasant, and died on that cross just for you because he loves you that much. And for the first time in my life, friends, I was overwhelmed with how big our God really is. And I was overwhelmed with the fact that he loved me that much that in spite of all that I had done and the countless times that I had turned my back on him after pledging my loyalty to him, just like Peter, 
that he loved me enough that he'd still forgive me. And for the first time in my life, I was overwhelmed with gratitude. God allowed me to see me for who I really was. And as I looked in the mirror, I saw a man who had put at risk the love and compassion and the, and the, and the commitment of a devoted wife. I had put at risk the future, the stability, the peace of mind, and the well-being of my children. For what? To stroke my ego? What a selfish, self-centered fool. And I say that to all those, all the guys I talked to. I said, you know what? If you think your masculinity is about how big your muscles are, how much beer you can drink, how much money you have, what kind of car you drive, and what kind of clothes you wear, grow up. Because you're not a man. You're a wimp. And I can call you one because I was one. I walked to the door where on the other side my wife was waiting. And on the way I said that prayer again, but it was different this time. Because I realized something. I said, you know what, God, I keep trying to do this my way. My way keeps bringing me back to this place. And I, as I looked in the mirror now, I had everything I thought I ever wanted. I had more than I ever wanted. I never dreamed in a million years that I would become that popular and have all that wrestling had become and be one of the biggest stars in it at the time. I had everything basically in my world the world could offer. But as I looked in the mirror, I saw a man who had no integrity. I saw a man who was weak and pitiful and selfish. And I said, God, I don't like this guy. And I don't ever want to feel this way again as long as I live. I want you to come into my life today, Lord, and I want you to take the helm of the ship. You take control of this ship of my life, and you take the ship wherever you want it to go, and I'm going to go with you no matter what, no matter what that is or where that is. I said, Lord, I said, give me a, the strength now to be a man and to tell my wife the whole truth. And I said, I, you know in spite of what I've done how much I love my family. But if that's the price I have to pay, so be it because I know it's what I deserve. In other words, Lord, I'm not making any conditions on this. That's the thing about genuine repentance. It begins with looking in the mirror and not placing blame on anything, on circumstances, on any of that junk. You do things because you choose to, period. It's the hardest thing I ever did in my life. So when I walked in that door, I couldn't look my wife in the face. Couldn't take my eyes off the floor because of the shame and the guilt. And I confessed one of the most horrible confessions you've ever heard. And watched my wife walk away and look back at me through tears and say, Ted, who are you? Who are you? And where's the man I thought I married? What was he saying? She was saying, basically she was saying, where, where was the guy that stood before God and witnesses and entered, to, entered in a covenant relationship, meaning contract, and took a vow, gave his word to love me and cherish me and me alone? Because what I agreed to that day and what I see standing here, well, they're not the same. So who are you? Now, let me tell you how Jesus said that. Matthew 7, 21. The first time I read this and understood it, the hair on the back of my head stood up. Jesus said, just because you say to me, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father, for many will come in that day and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name we drove out demons. We did many miracles. And Jesus said, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. 
Church, who's he talking to? He's not talking to prostitutes, drug addicts, murderers, and rapists. He's talking to people who go to church every week. What he's saying is, you can do all this stuff, but what I'm looking at is your heart. There's a lot of people that go on mission trips because it'll look real good on the website. Man, it'll make them look real good. Oh, yeah, I did all this charitable stuff, you know. Well, I better go on this, I better go on this, 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 you know, I better go do this. And golly, you know, it's Sunday and, you know, and the, and the word, and the Bible says tithe and, ah, gosh, I, I'm going to tell you what, if that's your attitude when the plate comes by, keep it. Because you're not doing yourself any good by leaving it. God loves a joyful giver. When I give to God, it's here, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the blessings in my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me every day for the stupid things I still do. And how can I serve you more? That's the attitude I have today. But it wasn't back then. Two days after that confession, good old Pastor Hal had to take his youth group on a trip to Chicago to an event called the Ascension Convention. And on the way to the Ascension Convention, my wife and I on this bus with these kids, old Pastor Hal gave me a little blue book called Maximized Manhood by Edwin Lewis Cole, who I had the extreme privilege and honor of meeting and actually sharing a platform in the future with. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. Maximized Manhood talks about the characteristics of a real man. Genuine manhood is synonymous with Christ-likeness. The more Christ-like you are, the more of a man you are. A real man is a man of strong character and integrity. A real man is a man of his word. His word is his bond. A real man is only as good as his word. And if his word is no good, quite frankly, he's worthless. Wow, I wanted to crawl under a rock. God calls upon men to be spiritual leaders in their home. Gentlemen, it's not your wife's obligation to have your family in church. It's yours, pal. You'll stand before God and be, and be held responsible for the spiritual well-being of every member of your family. It's your job. Man, by the time we got to Chicago, I wanted to crawl under a rock. Because I heard God speak to my heart. And he said, Ted, you were a bigger man when you were 15 years old when you cried out to me in that desert cemetery than you are right now. And right now you got everything you thought you wanted. And what do you really have? Zero. I walked into that big ballroom, the Hyatt Regency in O'Hare. There was 1,500, maybe 2,000 teenagers in that room. Back then, I had the highlighted blonde hair and dark tan, stuck out like a sore thumb. WrestleMania had just happened like a week before. And I heard it ripple across. There's Teddy Biasi. There's a million dollar man. What's he doing here? What was I doing there? God makes no mistakes. There are no coincidences. I had confessed to God. I had confessed to Pastor Hal. And I had confessed to my wife. There's nobody else to confess to. Why was I there? The speaker that weekend was a great guy who can really bring it, Reggie Dabbs. Reggie got to the end of the first message. I remember he said this. He said, if you're tired of living a lie, I know you remember this. Before he did that, he told those kids, he said, let's get real. You know, yeah, you come on this church weekend, 
uh, you may have your parents fooled. You ain't got me fooled. He said, some of you guys, you got booze in your room. You got Playboy magazines in your room. You got drugs in your room. He said, you want to get right with God? I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to count to three. And everybody that needs some junk they got to get rid of, he says, go get it. Go get it. Bring it back here. Drop it right here on the platform. Nobody's going to tell your mom and dad. Nobody's going to send you home. It's between me, you, and God. He said, one, two, three. It was like an exodus. Oh, my gosh. You should have seen them scatter. And oh, what a pile of junk they brought back. I was like, what are we going to do with this stuff? Just get it out of here. Then he said, if you're tired of living a lie, you know what you need. You know you need Jesus. Get out of here. Get up here now. There's a moment of truth for me. Because what had hindered my life for 20 years was my pride, my ego, my image. I could have sat in that chair and said, oh, God, you know I meant what I said, but, you know, I got this image. I'm, it's my job. You know, I... I can't let these kids see me, you know, you know, uh-uh. You see, God finally had Ted DiBiase at a place where he wants all of us at some point in our life, willing to run to him with reckless abandon, forsaking all others. I didn't care what one kid in that room thought at that moment. I beat everybody to the front. Not only did I go forward, I fell to my knees and I put my face squarely in the carpet, dead center of the platform. And I wept like a baby. I'll never forget it. And then I was joined by a bunch of teenagers. And with some of those teenagers actually picked me up off the ground. They were crying, I was crying. We were hugging. I remember laying there going, God, I don't know what this means. I don't know where we're going. I just know I'm going with you. And once again, I said, Lord, I don't want to lose them, but if I have to, I understand. Help me be and help me to support them in my absence the best way I can. I was convinced that my marriage was over. My wife, whose faith had grown throughout our relationship, came to me. She witnessed all of this. And she said, Ted, I'm not going to make you a promise I can't keep. And she said, I've prayed. God, is he sorry? Is he just sorry he got caught? And she said, but I serve a God who says to me, in either case, I forgive you. And so, Ted, I forgive you. That was the first rock that rocked my world. She said, I serve a God of restoration, not divorce. And she said, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm humiliated. I'm mad as hell. Right now, I'd like to kill you. But in obedience to what I hear God say to me, I am going to attempt. I am going to attempt to stay. She goes, I might change my mind tomorrow. This isn't for you. This is in obedience to God. She goes, I saw, I heard what you had to say. She goes, Ted, I think, I think from what I've seen and heard that you want to be a man of God. She said, I just quite frankly am not sure you're mad enough. She challenged me. And I told my wife that day, I said, if you'll give me this opportunity, I'll become the man you thought you married. I will become a man of character and integrity. I will become the spiritual leader in my home. And God willing, one day I'll regain your trust and your respect. And that was March 1992. This coming New Year's Eve, Melanie and I will celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. And you know what? 
God didn't just fix it. God made the marriage I have today far greater than I ever could have imagined. My wife and I are the closest friends. My wife and I, I mean, she's my soulmate. And understand that our relationship together is grounded in our mutual relationship with Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, you want to do something intimate with your wife? Pray with her. But I want you to understand that I was overwhelmed with my wife's willingness to even try based on what I told her. You see, Melanie's, Melanie's willingness to be obedient to God in her time of worst humiliation and, and emotional distress was the greatest example of the mercy of God that I've ever seen in my life. And it is the thing that propelled me. And I said, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be that man. What did Jesus say? He said, I come that you have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, I had a lot of friends. Oh, don't tell the truth. Even if you tell the truth, even if she forgives, she ain't ever going to forget. You're going to hear about it the rest of your life. Every time you get in an argument, trump card, you remember what you did to me. Uh-uh. Two years? Yeah, two years of hell. Two years of hell for her and me. Two years of, of a man desperately trying to become this man, fighting those temptations, learning to be a Christian, what it really is. Two years of a woman trying to get over these horrible images in her head. And it was a fire. We went through that fire together. But here's what I want you to understand. As my wife began to see me dive into the Bible and, and every book I pick up be a Christian book and a Bible study, as she began to see me lead my family in prayer, take them to church, as she began to see the priorities of my life shift from my job to my family, quite frankly, when she began to see the fruit, that's when the trust and the, and the, and the respect came back. And it's the greatest example I can share with you. You can come up here and you can cry your eyes out. And you confess to God and say, oh, God, forgive me. But if you walk out that door and there is no fruit in your life, you're not saved. Because it's here. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. No, you can't earn your salvation. If you could earn it, then Jesus wouldn't have, would have, never would have had to come. But the evidence that you really mean it is the fruit. It's a natural result. It's a natural, it's, it's a natural result of really being saved. I, you know, I hear all these, pro, you know what, we've got to have this follow-up program. You know, we've got to we get these people saved. We've got to follow up with them. Oh, really? I'm going to tell you something. When I really got saved, when I really understood what Christianity was, Nobody had, to, nobody had to come make sure I was going to be in church. You couldn't keep me out of church. Because now I was in love with Jesus. And I was grateful for what he did for me. Faith. I never dreamed in a million years, folks, that I'd be a minister. I, I can't, you know what? It's a long story, too, and I don't have the time to tell it. I've already talked too long. But... I stepped out of faith because I started connecting the dots as I started to share this story in a much simpler form years ago. And the more I went, the more I was invited. And I finally realized through a series of things happening that God had called me to ministry. 
Now, I walked away from wrestling. I walked away from the, the comfort of the income that I was making as a wrestler and as a wrestler in post-wrestling. It's the only thing I've ever known in my life. Now, I haven't been to a Bible college. I don't have a degree in theology, but I read this book every day. And I trusted God because when I connected the dots, he said, go. Now, go home and tell your wife that. Honey, I'm going to walk away from the thing I've known all my life. And I said, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. And I have no guaranteed income from now on, but God's going to provide. Wow. The thing is, my wife understood it because she saw it too. And in the year 2000, I stepped out in faith and I have served God for the last 11 years in evangelism. Folks, I couldn't, take you, I couldn't tell you what I'm going to make next week. And I'm not the million dollar man. That's a guy on TV. Please remember that when they take up the offering. <laughs> I trust folks like you every week to feed my family. But you know what? In 11 years, God has met every need. I had to get out of the boat. I had to walk on water. I had to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to stay focused on you. I'm not going to let the circumstances, I'm not going to let the wind and the rain and all that bother me. I'm going to stay focused on you. And as long as my eyes are on you, you will provide because I have the faith. And that faith has taken me to India three times. My last trip to India, people said, don't go, don't go. You're a celebrity. The Taliban, they'll get you. They'll put a bag over your head, cut your head off. I said, then I'll die for God right there. I said, because the board says there's a day and an hour that I'm appointed to die. And whether I'm there or here, it's going to happen. And because I, because I stepped out in faith again, when everybody said, don't go, I saw three, no, not three. There were three, three groups with us, but there were five little girls at an orphanage in central India that we prayed over who were born deaf, deaf mutes between the ages of five and seven. And all five of them were healed in front of my eyes. My friends, Jesus lives. He's in this room now. Is he your Lord? If he's not your Lord, you need to make him Lord today. And all I've shared with you today is, uh, please, it's, it's, it's as God has convicted me. It's as God has convicted me. It's a message God has given me. Because I really believe that God is crying out to his church in this country and saying, wake up. Wake up. You know, there's tough times going on now, and I, and I believe times are going to get much tougher. You know, and, uh, you know, I believe that, that God is our provider, and he will provide. He will provide. But I'm going to tell you what, as I read this book, God has taken his people through. He's taken them through the suffering. He's taken them through the trouble. He doesn't always deliver them from it. Because I have found in my life that all the turmoil in my life, all the valleys in my life, are the things that bring me closer to God and help mature me. So don't believe all them naming and claiming preachers that make, want, want you to believe that if you just believe God for uh, all this money and all this stuff, that's a bunch of garbage. If that was true, why did Jesus say it's easier for a, pa a camel to pass through the eye, eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven? One scripture said it. It's not true. Oh, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to speak it. And it's going to happen. There's a lot of people waiting for the boat to come in. Prosperity. 
Do you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, food on your table? Can you stay out of the cold in the winter and out of the heat in the summer? Do you have shoes on your feet? You're more prosperous than 70% of the world's population right now. If you live in a shack. So don't believe all that prosperity preaching. Because it's not real. And one of the guys that used to preach that, Jim Baker. Jim Baker is a greater man of God right now than he ever was. And he'll tell you. He wrote a couple books about it. He said, I was deceived. He said, instead of listening to God, I was listening to men. He said, it's real easy to believe in the prosperity message when everybody's sending you their money. He said, when I got in prison, and by the way, he was imprisoned for something he didn't do. His, 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 his fault was not being aware of it. But he said, in, the, in prison, he said, I didn't have any time but to get in the Word. And as I got into the Word, I found out I was wrong. Bottom line, no. Today, where are you? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Have you ever made a decision for Christ? Today is the day of the Lord. That's what the Word says. Don't put off today what you know you need because you may never have another opportunity. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. Second question I would ask is, does some of my story resonate with you? Have you found that the busyness of life and the cares of the world and believe me, all this technology, hey, you know what? I'm just like you. There are times, I mean, there are times when God has to kick me right square in the rear end. And you go, hey, because I get busy. I get busy doing ministry. But what I find is sometimes I get busy doing ministry and I'm trying to do it my way instead of going, God keeps saying, come over here, sit with me. I'm going to make it happen. And when I make it happen, it's going to be a lot better when you try. But he has to remind me and remind us. So we have to keep going back and spending time with him. Do you need, you know, have the weeds grown up around that relationship? Do you need to, do you need to cut through it? Do you need to reestablish today the relationship? Whatever it is, then that's what you need to do. Third question would be this. Are you hanging on to anger and bitterness? Is there somebody that you would say, I hate that person. They did me wrong. My wife forgave me. And her, her forgiveness bears fruit today. Her forgiveness, her forgiveness was the catalyst for my salvation and the catalyst that sent me ultimately into ministry. And as a result of her forgiveness and, and, and my ministry, through me, God has saved thousands in the last 10 years because of her obedience. Jesus was asked by the disciples, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven? He said 70 times seven. What's that mean? As often as you're asked. But you say, well, I tell you, you know what? I was raped. You know, I... You know, I was, I, was, I was unjustly imprisoned. There's a lot of reasons in the flesh for us to hang on to anger. And maybe in your own effort you can't. But God says, in my strength all things are possible. Lean on that strength and have that faith today. And let it go. Know this, that whatever you're bitter about isn't hurting anybody but you. And as long as you hang on to it, God can't, hit your, he can't hear your prayers. He can't hear you. Do you know that? As you, when you won't forgive, God's. Who are we not to forgive when the sinless Son of God forgives us daily? 
Lean on his strength and seek that strength today. And I just know this, whatever you need, it's in the room right now. If you have the faith to claim it, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a, a sinner's prayer. And I don't want you to pray my prayer. I want you to just speak to God from your own heart and be sensitive what he, to what he's telling you today. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. Lord, and I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Lord, I realize that in my own effort and in my own strength and of my own power, the truth is I'm weak and I'm, I'm helpless. And Lord, today I realize, maybe for the first time, that all I ever need in life can be found in one place, and that one place is in you. So right now, Lord, I ask you to search my heart. Reveal to me any, any, any unconfessed sin in my life that I might confess it now. And have your forgiveness. Lord, I come to you today and I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for allowing the cares of the world and the busyness of life to choke out the relationship that we started off with. Lord, forgive me for allowing my life to become a religious ritual. But from this day forward, Lord, I seek fellowship with you. Lord, your will be done in my life. Lord, be not only Savior, but Lord in my life. Jesus, today, I ask that you would give me the strength and the faith that let go of this anger and this bitterness that's kept me trapped for so long. Help me to come back into sweet fellowship with you. Lord, give me deliverance from the bondage of this habitual sin that I might be free today. In all these things, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here. Thank you for your forgiveness. But most of all, Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to die for us at Calvary's cross. We pray this name in your precious, matchless name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. I'm going to give this service back to Pastor Darrell. And Pastor, thank you so much for letting me come. And I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm one of them southern preachers, right? I did it again. Uh, I'll be out at the table. I've got, uh, I've got a DVD, which is the testimony you heard delivered in a church. And it's good for a lot of reasons. If you have somebody that needs salvation, then get it. I've got a book uh, that's about my wrestling career, but the last two chapters are about my faith, which is I kind of sneaked it in there on the WWE. And so wrestling fans get it, and they end up getting saved. <laughs> Uh, and I've got eight by 10 pictures that make great dartboards. <laughs> so God bless you. And thank you very much. Thanks, Ted. Thank you very much. That's great. It was great. And I just want to say, if you've given your heart to the Lord today, or you want to make that fresh start, there's a packet right down here on the side of our stage. And you can take one of those, it's got a Bible in it. It's going to tell you all about uh, everything that you can uh, uh, do to, to kind of jumpstart that walk with God. Again, we're glad that you're here today. And uh, we do want to receive an offering before uh, Ted goes, because uh, again, he doesn't get paid by any ministry or any church, and, and he is not the million-dollar man, really. So uh, uh, we do want to honor him and, and his ministry and, and send him around the world to places like India, as we do with Pastor Merrill and so many others. And, and uh, so we're going to give today, and I'll never forget as the men and women come forward, the uh, Ascension Convention about probably 10, 12 years after he got saved. I remember that night when he got saved and Reggie Dabbs being there and everything that happened. 
And to, to see them, because they ministered together about 10 to 12 years later on the same stage, and that when they gave the altar call, all these more kids came down. And I just realized in Ted's life that he was going to be used by God in a lot bigger ways than just in wrestling. And again, I hope his uh, story has blessed your life today. And it was an honor and privilege to have him here. We just want to sow a seed into his life. God, we thank you for Ted. We thank you for the life that you've given him. And uh, so, Lord, we just believe, God, that you have even greater things in store for him. So, Lord, we just release a blessing upon him and uh, your favor, God, wherever he goes. And, God, you've opened so many doors for him to walk through that we could never go. So, Lord, I pray that as he meets people that you would just have the message of your gospel on his lips. And, uh, God, may we see heaven more full and hell more empty because of his life and ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you give this morning, um, just invite you back next week. We're going to have great services next week. Our golf outing is next weekend. If you'd like to be a part of that, please see Pastor Fred. The weekend after that, uh, we have our church picnic immediately following service. So we want you to be a part of that. You can read about that in the bulletin. And the kids are going to do a wet and wild day that day as well. So the next two weekends are going to be great here at Christian Life, as all the weekends are. And uh, again, we want you to make sure that you, as, as you go today, fellowship with one another. We do need to make room for Church of Bethlehem as they come in. But as you go to the lobby, make sure you fellowship with WYLL and Debbie Schreiner and say hi to her and Ted DiBiase as well. Would you stand for the blessing of the Lord this morning? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, we thank you for that blessing that rests upon us. God, we thank you for the encouraging word we heard this morning of a a life that's been transformed. May our lives be transformed as we go today. We love you, Lord. And uh, God, we thank you that you're going to keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again as a church and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord and serve the Lord this week. If you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, please pick up a packet, and we want you to have that. That's our gift to you, but God bless you as you go this morning.